to another episode of the Dialogue Book Report. I'm very happy to be joined by my new partner, Andrew Hamilton. We have Andrew Hall and Andrew Hamilton working together. Andrew Hamilton is a very active reviewer of Mormon Studies books, and I've always enjoyed his reviews. So I reached out to Andrew and asked him if he would join me on this podcast to talk about recent books in Mormon Studies. Andrew, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yes. So I come through a very circuitous route to where I am, as some people do. I got an associate's degree from what was then UVSC in international politics, went on to get a bachelor's degree in filmmaking from BYU, and then a master's degree in counseling and working with people with disabilities from Utah State University. And now I teach English in Southern Idaho. I started reviewing books in Mormon studies almost by accident. About 15 years ago, I was in an old uh, Yahoo group. Don't know how many people remember those. And there was one called the Mormon Library, where people who are interested in Mormon history and Mormon studies would discuss various books that were coming out. One day, Jeff Needle, who is the uh, review editor for the Association of Mormon Letters, accidentally sent an email to the wrong group and said, hey, I need some reviewers to review uh, some books. And one of them was a John By the Way Booker CD. And at the time, I had some children who were interested in John By the Way. They're grown up and moved out now. So I thought, hey, a free John By the Way book. I'll, I'll review that. And Jeff wrote back and said, oh, that you, you weren't supposed to get that. Sorry, that was an accident. But if nobody else wants it, you can have it. And eventually I got that and I reviewed it, started reviewing more substantial books and did that for years for the Association of Mormon Letters, got invited to review books for Sunstone and for uh, the Worlds Without End blog, done a little bit of reviewing at times for Keep a Pitching In and other places. And, and here I am. Well, that's great. So glad to have you. I think I'll introduce myself as well. So I teach Japanese history, Japanese and East Asian history at Kyushu University, but I've always had an interest in Mormon studies and have kind of kept my hand in it as a hobby. So currently I am one of the book review editors at Dialogue, and I've also been involved with the Association for Mormon Letters, especially with its awards, with its annual awards, organizing those. Also, I, I am the co-editor of a collection of unpublished stories by Maureen Whipple called Craving for Beauty, The Lost Stories of Maureen Whipple which will be published by BCC Press later this year. Well, let's talk about what's going on in books this year. Probably a good place to start is the awards. This is award season, and both the Mormon Historical Association and the Association for Mormon Letters have come out with their annual awards. Now, both these organizations had their annual conferences canceled, at least the live sessions of their conferences canceled this year. But the MHA did hold their conference online, and they announced their book awards there. They are... Best book, David Walker, Railroading Religion, Mormons, Tourists, and the Corporate Spirit of the West. Best biography, Quincy Newell, Your Sister in the Gospel, The Life of Jane Manning James, a 19th Century Black Mormon. Best first book, Corden Smith Hansen, Frontier Religion, Mormons in America, 1857 to 1907. And best documentary editing, Gary James Bergera, Confessions of a Mormon Historian, The Diaries of Leonard J. Arrington, 1971 through 1997. The only one I am personally familiar with was The Confessions of a Mormon Historian. It's a very thick set of three books with all of the diaries of Leonard Arrington, and it's a fascinating set. He's got all these stories of his interactions with the various general authorities uh, during the years he was the church historian, stories he was told about previous leaders. So, I mean, if you are interested at all in you know, Mormon studies and Mormon history in the 20th century, this is going to be a go-to source for a long time. 
time. It's got stories about just about every significant player in the church leadership and what was going on, you know, from about 1920 up to about 1989. So it's very fascinating stuff. Now let's look at the Association for Mormon Letters Awards. The AML conference was completely canceled and they just did a online awards ceremony. The award for novel was given to Dean Hughes for his historical novel, Muddy, where faith and polygamy collide. I'm a real fan of Dean Hughes. Dean goes back and forth between young adult books for the national market and then books for the LDS market. And he's a real pro who, with very simple, clean prose, he writes for Deseret Book, his series about Latter-day Saints during World War II, and then the same family in the 60s and 70s came out around the same time as Gerald Lund's The Work and the Glory. But it's a much better series. It was kind of the secondary series, I think, for Desert Book of historical fiction. But it's a much, much better series. He's a much better author. And he brings in interesting questions about race and gender in Mormon history that is provocative. He's a very easy read, but also very provocative. And in this new book, he takes on the Muddy River Mission, which was a very, very difficult and largely failed attempt to colonize an area of what's now Nevada and the difficult time these people had and trying to balance their faith in what Brigham Young asked them to do against the reality that things were just not working and also the requirement to live polygamy that some of them felt they had to do. So it's very interesting to see such a a challenging and well-written book coming out from Desert Book. Another book that was given a special award in literature is Irresistible Things by Lisa Van Norman Hadley. And we have an interview with Lisa Hadley, also as part of this dialogue book report. So look out for that. Other books that were awarded include, for creative nonfiction, Melissa Inoue's Crossings, A Bald Asian American Latter-day Saint Woman's Scholar's Ventures Through Life, Death, Cancer, and Motherhood, an excellent uh, memoir. And in religious nonfiction, A Place to Belong, Reflections from Modern-Day Latter-day Saint Women, edited by Holly Reese Fluman and Camille Frank Olson, also from Desert Book. It's interesting to see how many Desert Book Books were honored by the AML this year. Poetry, a lot of great poetry coming out uh, in the last couple of years. The Poetry Award winner is Homespun and Angel Feathers by Darlene Young, which came out through BCC Press. And that was one of just several great poetry books from BCC Press this year. So take a look at the AML page and you can see all the finalists for these awards. Some really high quality work. Well, let's talk about the reviews that are came out in dialogue in this issue. First of all, there's two reviews about gender, and they are both discussed in another dialogue book report uh, session we have where three young scholars, Connor Hilton, Jacqueline Foster, and Adam McLean, talk about recent LGBTQ-related books where LGBTQ issues and Mormonism mix. And so they talk about these two books. So first one is Greg Prince, Gay Rights and the Mormon Church, reviewed by Ben Park. Have you read this book? I have. I I loved it. It was probably one of the better and more important Mormon studies books that came out last year. You're probably familiar with Greg Prince from some of his previous work. He he became well known for his great biography of David O. McKay and the rise of modern Mormonism. He then wrote on Leonard Arrington, who we just discussed, his most recent book, Gay Rights in the Mormon Church, Intended Actions and Unintended Consequences. What he basically does is he examines the history of the LDS interaction with the LGBT community and their attempts to have teachings related to that since the time of Spencer W. Kimball. In his review, Ben Park, speaking of this, says, 
The story, at least in Park's telling, begins with the presidency of Spencer W. Kimball, who is the first modern leader to heavily emphasize the threat of homosexuality. He then gives a brief uh, recalling of the history that Prince describes, what Spencer W. Kimball did, some of the things that Dallin H. Oaks and BYU and other leaders and institutions within the church have done, leading up to the church's interaction with California's laws and the attempts to keep gay marriage from becoming legal. Some of the things that Park mentions in his review in relation to this is that the most useful parts of the book include the exhaustive details concerning how the church was involved in the numerous legislative and electoral initiatives over the 1990s and 2000s in an attempt to forbid same-sex marriage in Hawaii and California, and how the church framed these as a moral rather than a civil rights issue. Greg Prince is really kind of big on this, how the church tried to stay away from the idea they were messing with people's civil rights and really focus on how this was a moral issue. One of the things that Greg Prince is good at is detail. He does lots of interviews. He finds all sorts of sources that have never been tapped before. And Park even points this out, how there's just this wealth of material, how he uses this very well in the book. And Park points out that in his opinion, crucial strengths to this book are Prince's own background, which is in biology, and how he is able to bring in the biology behind homosexuality, and how that kind of refutes the traditional church discourse. The entire book is significant. There's so much in here that is good. But if I could recommend anything from this book, there are three chapters that I would hope that everybody uh, who's connected to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Mormon Studies uh, might check out. And that's chapter 26 on the policy, uh, which was established in November of 2015, where it became apostasy basically to be involved in a gay marriage and the children related to those gay marriages could not be baptized or served missions. The book was actually released just before that was reversed. So it's not entirely up to date on that, but it gives a lot of the background and the build up to that. Chapter 29 on suicide that goes into detail on gay Mormon suicides and the and the many tragic stories uh, related to that. And then chapter 30, which Greg Prince called the Scarlet Letter, is about the permanent marker asterisk that a bishop can have put on an LDS person's file if they are gay and how this can follow them kind of around the church and prevent them from holding callings and being fully involved, even if they've never been involved in a gay relationship or involved in any sort of what would be considered homosexual activity and how this has really been a problem for gay members of the church. But it's a very fascinating book and has a lot of important history and documentary evidence and things in it and really ought to be checked out by those interested in Mormon studies and the history of the church interaction with the LGBT community. Now, in our other episode of the Dialogue Book Report, we have a roundtable of young LGBT Mormon scholars who are talking about recent books. And this is one of the books they talk about. Interestingly enough, they were not quite as positive about the book as you and Ben have oh. they, I think they appreciate a lot of the aspects of the book. But they thought that Prince uh, was not very up to date on queer theory and that he focused almost exclusively on male homosexuality. And Ben Park actually brings that up in his review, the same thing you just mentioned, that yeah, he kind of focuses on homosexuality specifically and, and some of the other things you mentioned. So interesting. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, other books in this issue of Dialogue include a review by Connor Hilton, one of these younger scholars that were part of that panel, who reviewed Brenda Weber's Latter-day Screens, Gender, Sexuality, and Mediated Mormonism, which is a book about current pop culture, media portrayals of Mormonism, particularly issues of gender sexuality, such as big love, 
and some of the TV shows that are about polygamy, media created not by Mormons themselves for the most part, but by non-Mormons about Mormons. Uh, certainly the Book of Mormon Musical is part of that. So a very academic book. I'll be honest, I have not read this book yet, but I was very fascinated by the review that Connor wrote. I thought it was interesting that he pointed out that Weber, who wrote the book, is a non-Mormon author, but grew up Presbyterian around Mormons in Mesa, Arizona. And mm-hmm. while he was first put off a little bit by some of the mistakes that she made, for instance, she mentions that men become elders at the age of 12. And there are a few things that he said were a little frustrating at time because her descriptions felt foreign. But as he read the epilogue at the end of the book and how she kind of talked about her relationship with Mormonism and growing up around Mormons, it really changed his feelings about her and the book. It sounds fascinating. I thought one of the most interesting things he said was that Latter-day Screens has a lot on its mind and barely scratches the surface of the potential of the themes that she is exploring. Each chapter felt like it could have been its own monograph, exploring more deeply each of these facets and the context that surrounds and informs the text. And he kind of encourages people to use this book as a beginning to really dig into these themes and explore them a lot more. Then we have three reviews of literary works, Irreversible Things by Lisa Van Orman Hadley. I mentioned that, won an award from the AML this year. I love this book. This is a novel as memoir, memoir as novel. She's definitely taking from her own life of a very quirky, interesting family living in Florida and then in Utah. But she gives herself license to not just stick with the facts. Anyways, it's a beautiful novel about growing up in the Mormon family. I just highly recommend it. Then we have the Witchy series, written by D.J. Butler. This is a fantastic fantasy series set in early United States history, an alternative United States. It doesn't have Mormons in it, but Butler, who is a Mormon, certainly uses a lot of Mormon imagery uh, in his descriptions of this magic-infused early America, uh, somewhat similar to Orson Scott Card's Alvin Maker series. I really can't recommend this series enough. And Butler also has a book coming out this year, called The Cunning Man, which is about Mormons and folk magic. Uh, It's also a fantasy, but a fantasy about uh, a Mormon in the 1930s who uses folk magic. And it's just a very interesting and creative use of some Mormon tropes. And then finally, Karen Anderson's Before Us Like a Land of Dreams, a novel where she imagines her family's past history, uh, going back into the early days of Utah and then what impact that has on modern society. One of the things I loved about the review of Irreversible Things by uh, Sarah Moore was the reviewer in this case. She made a couple of statements that really fascinated me, and I I want to check this book out now. She mentions that it's a very short book, and she says that I should have been able to read this in a couple of hours, sitting in the car or waiting in the doctor's office. But then she says, like its diminutive narrator, however, Irreversible Things demands to be read slowly. No, perhaps demands is the wrong word. Rather, this book sits down next to you, softly puts its hand on your knee and says in a gentle Floridian accent, wait, honey, I don't think you heard me right. Try reading that bit again. Took me weeks to finish it because I kept pausing to catch my breath, rereading and rediscovering passages and savoring a language that is heartbreaking, simple and poetic. That got me right there. It made me really want a copy of this book. And she talks about how the narrator is allowed to be flawed. And as the narrator grows and progresses in the book, you kind of grow and progress with the narrator and and get what she refers to as a kaleidoscope, an ever-changing picture of memories. And that just sounds fascinating to me. I can't wait to check that out. Sounds like a really good book. 
with the Witchy Eye series. I'll, I'm going to kind of betray my age here as I read this uh, review, and he talked about how there's no Mormon, there are no Mormons in the book, but there is Mormonism. It reminded me of the original Battlestar Galactica, and I don't know how many of our listeners are old enough to remember the the original, uh, which was written by a Mormon, and they were led by a quorum of 12, and they came from the planet Kobol, a slight rearranging of Kolob. They were sealed instead of married. There's even an episode where an alien quotes Lorenzo Snow and says, as you are, we once were, and as we are, you may become. And so I kind of had that feeling as, as you were describing this and as the reviewer describes how there's a lot of these Mormon elements and biblical elements woven in. And, uh, you know, there's kind of a, a version of America where there's magic and things side by side. I, I also got a little bit of a picture of the Chronicles of Narnia. There's elves and other things and connections to Adam and Eve and biblical teachings all kind of mixed together. So it, it sounds fascinating. My family loves fantasy series and books. And, and so we'll have to check that one out. It sounds like great stuff. Okay, let's turn to 2020 books, books that have been coming out this year. And we'd like to start off talking about three books that have come out here in the first half of the year that have received a lot of attention. They're all important books that are timely, that speak to what's going on today. And the authors are, I think, all three quite media savvy. They've done a very good job of doing interviews and podcasts and promoting their books in a time when it's not easy to promote your book. And all three are also leaders in the the Mormon studies field. I think these are institution builders who not only through their own scholarship, but through the promotion of other people's scholarship and through their appearances in media talking about current issues in Mormonism have really made names for themselves. And these three books are Benjamin Park's The Kingdom of Nauvoo, The Rise and Fall of Religious Empire in the American Frontier. Park was a founder of the Juvenile Instructor blog in 2007, a group of young Mormon historians talking about Mormon history issues that has really become a center for the Mormon Studies world. He's also currently a co-editor of Mormon Studies Review. He's on the editorial board of Dialogue, and he actively comments on Mormon history and contemporary issues on Twitter. So he's a person who's gotten his name out, not just through his scholarship, but through institution building and through activism. We also have Taylor Petrie, Tabernacles of Clay, Sexuality and Gender in Modern Mormonism. This book has gotten a lot of good press. The the young scholars I just mentioned who had some criticisms of the Great Prince book were very positive about this book and his very up-to-date takes on, on queer theory issues and the way that he's been able to tease out the long and unexpected history of issues about sexuality and gender in Mormonism. Petrie's, of course, uh, the current editor of Dialogue and so has a very important role in Mormon studies today. And then the third book is Joanna Brooks's Mormonism and White Supremacy, American Religion and the Problem of Racial Innocence. This is a book that came out almost at the perfect time in that issues of the long history of white supremacy in our culture and the way that it has affected us is suddenly at the top of all of our minds. So naturally, people turn to our own culture, Mormonism, and say, well, what about in our culture? What role has white supremacy played? I think Joanna Brooks is certainly a trained historian, but this book is not really an attempt to find new primary sources. It's not really a monograph. It's more of a synthesis of the various works on race that have been done over the previous years, books by people like Paul Reeves and Russell Stevenson, Quincy Newell, and looking at what they've come up with on issues of race and building this into a larger story of white supremacy, not white supremacy in kind of a KKK sense of being completely opposed to you know the presence of African-Americans, but a structure in which the assumption, the default of white supremacy is built into the culture. 
with this book coming out right now and, you know, people talking about getting rid of Confederate statues, you know, this naturally plays into what about some of these people in Latter-day Saint past who have upheld aspects of white supremacy? Should Abraham O. Smoot, who was a slave owner in Utah and who was involved in an effort to try to deny the priesthood of Elijah Abel, you know, should his name be on the administration building of BYU? And should BYU even be called Brigham Young University, or should we find a new name for that? Her coming into this discussion and bringing all these resources has really lit a fire under efforts to look at our past. And has really played into the growth of organizations that are calling for changes. So I believe that you've read Benjamin Park's book. What did you think about that? Yes, I loved Benjamin Park's book, Kingdom of Nauvoo. I was lucky enough to get a a review copy. So I got a little ahead of some others. And as we were discussing it in various Mormon history groups that I'm involved in, one of the things that kind of came up sometimes from people was, does there really need to be another book on Nauvoo? There's been a lot of books on the history of Nauvoo. Do we really need another one? And the answer is definitely Yes. You know, one of the big things that happened a few years ago now, back in 2015, the church made available through the Joseph Smith Papers Project, the records of the Council of 50 from the Nauvoo period. Uh, and that was released as Administrative Records, Council of 50 Minutes, March 1844 to January 1846 through the Joseph Smith Papers Project. And this completely changed our understanding of Nauvoo and what was going on there and what Joseph Smith was attempting to do there as we were able to access these records. And in the last five years, Benjamin Park was able to read and study and synthesize these and connect them with other things that were going on in relation to Joseph Smith's political ideas and interests, polygamy, his teachings and relating to the temple and masonry and pull all of this together and completely change the way that we will understand Nauvoo. And I loved it from the very beginning. One thing I mentioned when I wrote my review is that most people think of modern Mormons as the ultimate, those that live in the United States, I guess I should say, is the ultimate patriots, right? If you're from Provo or you're familiar with Provo in Utah, Provo has what they call the America's Freedom Festival. It's like a six-week-long celebration of the United States every year. There's baby contests and eating contests and baseball games and speech contests and all these things in it. in this huge parade on the morning of the 4th of July and this giant fireworks spectacular the night of the 4th at the BYU Stadium. So Mormons are very much American patriots. So it might shock a lot of people as they read the first sentence of the book, which says, A gloomy pall hung over the Mormon city of Nauvoo when Joseph Smith and his closest allies gathered to replace the American Constitution. And that little tease kind of sucks you right into the book as he really walks through how Joseph Smith was attempting to revolutionize the United States in the 1840s. He kind of saw the United States as a failed political experiment, and he was trying to replace basically the United States government with a theocratic kingdom. And he walks you through these papers from the Joseph Smith Papers Project and through, again, these teachings relating to polygamy and to government and to the temple. And he talks about how Joseph Smith was trying to revolutionize teachings about women through the Relief Society and give women a lot more power than they had at the time. And it's an extremely fascinating book that has completely upended kind of traditional ideas about Nauvoo and the church at that time. And I think it'll be a very important book for years to come. 
Speaking of these doubts about the United States, an upcoming book is Terrible Revolution, Latter-day Saints in the American Apocalypse by Christopher Blythe. That'll be coming out from Oxford University Press later this year. And I think he's going to build on that idea and talk about how from this Navi period and into the early Utah period, there was a lot of doubt about the United States government and its tyranny, as a lot of the Mormons saw, and that a lot of these 19th century Latter-day Saints looked forward to apocalyptic events that would unseat the current government and you know, lead to some kind of national rebirth. And then as Utah obtained statehood, the church sought to assimilate the national religious norms. They sought to lessen tensions between themselves and the American political and cultural powers. So Blythe is going to look at this, you know, the rise of these doubts about the United States and this apocalyptic vision, and then how that vision has been kind of tamped down in the years since then. I'm glad you touched on that. That was one of the forthcoming books I wanted to bring up. I I was sent a digital advanced reader's copy, and I've only been able to read the introduction, but it sounds absolutely fascinating. One drawback is it's coming through a university press, and it's priced a little bit high, so that might be a little rough for some people. But yeah, this is going to be absolutely a fascinating book from Christopher Blythe, and I hope that it's able to get some traction because it's it's very good, very interesting stuff. Okay, how about Taylor Petrie's Tabernacle of Pride? Taylor Petrie's book, I've just finished reading this and and I love this book. It is very good. It's not that long. It's only just over 200 pages long, but this is a deep book. It, it probably took me a couple of months to work my way through this. I've had this for a while and it's, it's very deep. He's got a lot of theory and psychology and different things in here and you really have to kind of take it slow. At least I did and let it kind of absorb. He starts back in the years after World War II and he talks talks about modern Mormonism and gender theory in context. And he takes that and he builds on ideas that the church had in relation to what he calls pure marriage in relation to race. And he talks about all the things that were going on with race uh, in the church in the 1940s and 50s and 60s. And then he uses that to transition into sexuality and teachings of the church relating to homosexuality and other things. And he spends all this time, it's so fascinating, going over what was going on going on in the 1970s as the church tried to find a way to kind of meld psychiatric teachings with church doctrine. And there was a foundation started for Mormons who were involved. It was called the Association for Mormon Counselors and Psychiatrists and how this group kind of tried to come together and meld psychiatric teachings with Mormon teachings. And there was a group started at BYU specifically to examine homosexuality and look for ways to kind of use psychiatric studies to prove the church position and just all of these things that were going on and their attempts to write books and pamphlets and other things about this. And then it moves on to the proclamation and other things that have happened more recently. But it's a fascinating book. Everybody should get a copy of Tabernacles of Clay. It's priced well. It's very available. It's a book that everybody needs to check out. Well, so these three books, I think I've gotten the most press and deservedly so. In all indications, all three of these books are fantastic works of scholarship. What other books from 2020 have come out that you'd like to talk about? 2020 is a great year if you're interested in Mormon studies and Mormon history and those kind of things. I'll briefly touch on a few different books that have become available in the last couple of months that I think people ought to check out. One of my favorites that I've just finished reading is called Writing Mormon History, Historians and Their Books, which was edited by Joe Geisner and released by Signature Books. 
in my family, I, one of the things we love to do is after we've watched a particularly good movie is kind of watch the behind the scenes stuff that's often included on many Blu-rays and DVDs, the bloopers and the deleted scenes and the commentaries. And that's basically what this book is. Joe was able to convince 15 authors uh, who are very well known in Mormon studies and Mormon history Polly Aird, Will Bagley, Todd Compton, Brian Hills, William McKinnon, Linda King-Newell, Greg Prince, and others to submit essays on why they wrote their books and how they wrote their books, kind of tell the stories of how they chose that subject and the research they did. And it's fascinating to see all these little details. And Greg Prince, who we mentioned earlier, he talks about how he wrote his history, his biography of David O. McKay, and he throws in some of the stuff that he left out of the book. Will Bagley talks about a lot of the research he did uh, when he wrote his book on the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Todd Compton and Brian Hills do the same kind of thing as they talk about how they wrote their books on Mormon polygamy. Linda King-Newell tells her story about how she, what was going on when she wrote her famous biography of Emma Hill Smith. And it's just, and just lots of fun stuff, lots of neat stories, behind the scenes type things that I think a lot of people uh, will enjoy reading. Another great book that came out recently was called Visions in a Seer Stone, Joseph Smith and the Making of the Book of Mormon by William Davis. Now, from that title, you'd think he'd focus a lot on the use of the seer stone, and he talks about that and touches on it in his book. But the fascinating thing and the very interesting thing that I love that he does in this book is he really places the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith into a 19th century context. You know, in our day and age, everything is written. We've got books, we read blogs, we write blogs, we, we, we have writing everywhere. But the 19th century was a spoken word culture, and we're not very familiar with that. What William Davis does is he places Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon in that 19th century spoken context. And he talks about how preachers and lawyers and others would learn to speak and how they would learn certain styles. And he focuses on this idea that he calls or that was referred to as laying down heads and how people had learned certain important points that they wanted to speak on and how preachers would memorize certain key biblical passages and then lay down these heads as they would give a sermon and then build around that and how you can see evidence of Joseph Smith doing this as he wrote the Book of Mormon and crafted the sermons in the Book of Mormon and crafted his own sermons and really helps to place the Book of Mormon into that 19th century context. Very interesting and fascinating stuff that I think will help to you know, give people a new vision of how Joseph Smith might have written or produce the Book of Mormon. And one very good thing that he does, because it can be a controversial book, because he's challenging the idea that the Book of Mormon is perhaps a translation of an ancient text, but he really goes out of his way to reach out to those that might be believers in the traditional approach to the Book of Mormon and make sure that he's not offensive in his presentation of his ideas. So a very good book. Let me try to link that to another book that's coming out soon is Samuel Morris Brown is coming out with a book called Joseph Smith's Translation. The Words and Worlds of Early Mormonism, where he's also looking at these early texts, the Book of Mormon, the Book of Abraham, and the Temple Liturgy. 
since you mentioned that, let's connect that to another book that's due out in July. This is a book that a lot of people have been waiting several years for. It's called Producing Ancient Scripture, Joseph Smith's Translation Projects, and the Making of Mormonism. And it's edited by Michael Hubbard McKay, Mark Ashurst McGee, and Brian Hoglid. These are all scholars who have been deeply involved with the Joseph Smith Papers Project, and they've collected a number of essays about Joseph Smith, his translations, his work with scriptures and other things. And one of the reasons why this has been really anticipated was back in 2017, you might remember that Thomas Wayman, who's in the Department of Ancient Scripture at BYU, and one of his students, Haley Wilson, released a very brief essay called A Recently Recovered Source, Rethinking Joseph Smith's Bible Translation. And they discovered as they were doing their research that Joseph Smith actually fairly extensively used Adam Clark's Bible commentary as he was producing his Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. And the full version of that essay is going to be in this book, Producing Ancient Scripture, that's coming out in July from the University of Utah. So a lot of people have really been waiting for this book, and it sounds very fascinating and connects to the book you just mentioned and Bill Davis's book. And so kind of a a great trilogy of books on what Joseph Smith was doing and how he did it. It ought to be very, very interesting. Okay. Any others? Yeah. A few other things I want to touch on real quick. Another very excellent book that was released recently, Levina Fielding Anderson, who's well known for being one of the September 6th scholars that was excommunicated back in 1993, has released a book through Signature called Mercy Without End Toward a More Inclusive Church. This is a collection of essays over the last 30 years that she wrote. And this is one of my favorite books I've read this year. She discusses her experiences with her excommunication. She talks about the long-term blessings that she has received through the various tribulations she has experienced. And she makes a statement that there is a place in the church for all of us because there is room in the grace of Christ for every human being in the world. Mother Teresa says that Christ would have died for you and if you were the only person in this world who needed his redemption. I want us to feel that grace that redemption. And that's, that is what she focuses on in that, in this entire book, ways that people who've maybe struggled with the church, struggled with their testimonies, struggled with feeling a connection to the divine can still make divine connections and feel that they're connected to grace and redemption. And, And it's just a lovely, very encouraging book. The world's rough right now. A lot of bad things are going on. If you're feeling kind of down or depressed and you need a kind of a pick me up experience, read Mercy Without End. A very, very lovely and encouraging sort of book. Levine is one of my heroes. I've only met her personally a couple of times, but she's had a lot of impact on me. For instance, she asked me to take on a project that she did in the 1990s, publishing Marine Whipple's unpublished works. And it never got finished. When I met her, she gave me a disc. She said, can you help to finish this? Get this over the line. And she got me in contact with her co-editor, Veta Hale, and we brought in another co-editor and together we finished that. For all her personal qualities and for the work she's, she's done, she's a real hero of mine. What other books are you, are you excited about? All right, a few other very exciting books that have come out. We just mentioned Michael Hubbard McKay, who was one of the editors 
on the forthcoming Producing Ancient Scripture book. He has written his own book called Prophetic Authority, Democratic Hierarchy, and the Mormon Priesthood. This was released within the last couple of months by the University of Illinois Press. I'm just barely getting started on this book, but it's absolutely fascinating. In this book, Prophetic Authority, McKay traces the history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints' claim to religious authority and sets it within the context of its time. He delves into the evolution of the church's concept and understanding of prophetic authority and the priesthood and the teachings related to that. Absolutely fascinating stuff that gives a history on the Mormon concepts of priesthood and how that developed and changed over the early years and during the time that Joseph Smith was developing and setting up the church. Another book that I read at the beginning of this year that I absolutely loved is called The Bear River Massacre, A Shoshone History by Darren Perry. Darren Perry is the chairman of the Northwest Band of the Shoshone. Many people might be familiar with the name or the event of the Bear River Massacre. This is an event that occurred in southern Idaho near the Idaho-Utah border in the late 1800s. Unfortunately, for many years, this was referred to as the Battle of Bear River. This was no battle. This was the army coming in and massacring almost the entire northwestern band of Shoshone. Finally, the true story over the last few years of what happened has been coming out. More history has been released. Other and better books have been written. This book by Darren Perry is the first book ever written about the massacre by a member of the Shoshone tribe. This is a short book. It's only about 160 pages long. And he tells the story of the massacre. He briefly tells the story of the history of his tribe, of how they roamed the lands of northern Utah, southern Idaho, and into Nevada and other areas. Chairman Perry explains how when the Mormons showed up, this lifestyle completely had to change because suddenly they were boxed in. They couldn't go wherever they wanted to anymore. They had no more access to their traditional hunting lands and their traditional lands where they would collect grains and berries and other things that they used to survive. Chairman Perry explains how after the Mormons arrived, Chief Sagwich, who is his ancestor, went down to the area we now know as Salt Lake City to meet with Brigham Young. Brigham Young didn't meet with him, but he did visit with Heber C. Kimball, who basically told Sagwich the Mormons were going to do whatever they wanted. They were going to claim whatever they wanted. This land had been given to them by God, and the Shoshone would just have to deal with it. This completely altered the way the Shoshone lived and made it so they were not able to have the things that they previously had. Uh, because of this, they would at times raid. They would go take cattle and other goods from the Mormons just to try and survive. And this led to the Mormons becoming upset, which led to the army attacking and massacring most of the Shoshone tribe in the Bear River area, or what the Shoshone called Boa Ogai. And this book details all of this from the Shoshone perspective from the first time. And this is an extremely important book. It is kind of a difficult book to read because it is very painful to read about the massacre and about what was going on. And some of these people, especially if you come from a Mormon background like I did, I had ancestors living in the area where some of these things were going on. You know, I grew up revering Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball and some of the other people involved and to read of their humanness and some of the bad things that were going 
going on and decisions that caused the massacre to occur and kind of the cover-up that happened afterwards and that was explained away as a battle and these other things that happened. It can be a very painful book to read, but it's also a very important book to read. And I would encourage people to check out The Bear River Massacre, as is shown history by Darren Perry. It's available from the BCC Press and it's only $10. It's a wonderful little book to get a hold of. This leads us to a couple of important books from the end of last year. At the very end of last year, the final book in the Kingdom in the West series by Will Bagley. It's a 16-volume series of documentary histories. It was started back in the 1990s, and the very last book was released the end of last year, and it's called The Whites Want Everything, Indian-Mormon Relations, 1847 to 1877. And this ties in very well with Chairman Perry's book on the Bear River Massacre, and also with Joanna Brooks' book on Mormonism and white supremacy that just came out. This book gives in detail documents that have never been available before, things that were said and written by early members of the church and teachings and the things that the Mormons were doing after they arrived in Utah and their relations with the Indians. And again, it's a very difficult book to read. It, it has a lot of violent and terrifying things in it. But it's a book that connects very well, again, to what's going on with Joanna's book on Mormonism and white supremacy, on relations between the church and Native Americans, and on Chairman Perry's book. And I would encourage people checking that out. One other book I would touch on from the end of last year is called Finally Statehood, Utah's Struggles, 1849 to 1896 by Edward Leo Lyman. This book picks up where Ben Park's book ends in Nauvoo in 1846. It gets the Mormons to Utah, and then what Leo Lyman does is he goes through and he details the seven attempts to have Utah become a state. And all of the things that were going on, the things that the church tried to do politically to become a state, how they adjusted teachings on politics and on the kingdom of God, and how this kind of influences the modern Mormon ideas about politics and the things that are going on. And again, it kind of leads right into Joanna Brooks' book and the modern things that are going on in Utah and in Mormonism. So very fascinating stuff. A lot of excellent books that are out now that if you like Mormon studies, you ought to check out. A few other books that are coming up that are worth checking out that are due out between July and August. We already touched on Producing Ancient Scripture. Fascinating book. Sounds like it ought to be excellent that you ought to check out. Another one that ties into a lot of these ideas about politics and Mormonism's involvement in politics is a book called Watchmen on the Tower, Ezra Taft Benson and the Making of the Mormon Right by Matthew L. Harris. Matthew Harris actually did a book about a year ago that was related to this. It was called Thunder from the Right, Ezra Taft Benson in Mormonism and Politics. That book was a collection by various scholars of essays about Ezra Taft Benson and his involvement in various areas of politics. This new book that will be out in July from the University of Utah Press is by Matthew L. Harris, and he talks about how Ezra Taft Benson influenced modern Mormon ideas about politics and why so many Mormons are so right-wing and so connected to the Republican Party. And again, it ties into these ideas about the end of days that are touched on in Christopher Blythe's book that are coming out and race and things that are touched on in Joanna Brooks' books. All of these books are very interconnected and related and they're talking about a lot of very common things. 
Another fascinating book from a scholar connected to the Joseph Smith Papers Project coming out. Joseph Smith History, Methods, and Memory by Ronald O. Barney is also due out over the next month from the University of Utah Press. Talks about Joseph Smith's writings and the things that he was involved in ought to be very good stuff. Two final books to touch on that helped kind of wrap things up here are two books coming out from Signature Books. Another one that ties into a lot of these ideas about race and politics and history that we've been touching on is called the LDS Gospel Topics Series. This is a book of essays also edited by Matthew L. Harris as well as Newell Bringhurst, and they have collected essays on the various gospel topics, essays that the LDS Church has caused to be released over the last several years. You're probably familiar with the essays the church has produced to help explain polygamy and ideas about race and other things, and these different scholars go through and examine each of these essays one at a time. So again, it ties into what Joanne has been talking about with race and what has been talked about with polygamy and Nauvoo and some of these other things. So it all kind of ties together. And to end on kind of a funner or lighter note, since we talked about a lot of heavy things, there's another book coming out during the summer called Spencer Kimball's Record Collection. This is a collection of essays on Mormon music by Michael Hicks. And I'm not sure how he managed to do this. I haven't been able to see the book yet. But he talks about what happened in a memoir to LDS Church President Spencer W. Kimball's record collection. And then he uses that to talk about the Mormon love for music and musicals and other things that have gone on over the years in relation to music and rock and other genres in relation to music and Mormonism. So kind of a, a you know lighter note and a funner note after we've talked about a lot of heavy things, but sounds like it ought to be some pretty fun stuff. Thank you. Let me mention a couple of literary books that are going to come out this year. Eric James Stone is a writer of speculative fiction usually short stories, and he has a collection of his stories called The Humans in the Walls and Other Stories Coming Out. Latter-day Saints might know him for a story he did called That Leviathan Which Thou Hast Made, a story that imagines a future in which various aliens are interacting with humans, and some of them join the church, including these large whale-like creatures who live in the sun. And what does that mean for someone like that to be baptized? And how does their different culture play into the church? So I'm really looking forward to his stories. Also, two novels coming out, one by Robert Hodgson Van Wagner called The Contortionist from Signature, and another one by Twyla Nui, a new author, called Sylvia from BCC Press. People in the know have let me know that those are going to be great novels. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for participating with me today. I think we got a good Andrew Andrew Tandem going on. Thank you for inviting me. I had a lot of fun doing this. I look forward to doing it again when the next issue comes out. Let's do it again. <laughs>